reflections from a range of authors, journalists, civic leaders, historians and generally interesting people, exploring the importance of the written word, the value of a library and their own inspirations and motivations. Based at RSE Connolly, the James Connolly Visitor Centre, Belfast. Thanks again for tuning in this week to Glower at Lorlan e Connolly. Today's guest is Professor Bill Rolston, former Professor of Sociology and Director of the Transitional Justice Institute at Ulster University. Bill chats to us today about how he found his way into academia, the various oral history projects he's worked on over the years and the unique insight this approach gives us into our past. I don't know many people who set out to be academics uh, and I'm one of them who didn't set out to be an academic. Um, but I'll give you the backstory in a little second. I did my degree at Queen's, got a good result, applied for one job as a trainee social worker at the end of, uh, at the, end of the course, got accepted. And on the first day that I was due to go in, decided, no, I wasn't going to do that. That wasn't me. And the only thing, if, the only thing I could think of doing then was a postgraduate. So I did a doctorate. From a doctorate, I got uh, an up an application to apply for a job at what was then the Ulster Polytechnic, and the rest is history. And now I'm retired. But there is a bit of a backstory or pre-story in that when I think back in it, I always loved words, um, and so it. It wasn't like I sort of finished my degree and decided I want to become a, you know, a mountain climber or um, I don't know a deep sea diver or something. There was there was a there was something in me from a very early age that made me go that route. I love words. I love writing. I tried when I was a teenager, as so many teenagers do, uh, to write poetry. You'll be pleased to know that none of that now exists. I don't know what happened to it, and I think that's history's valid judgment on what I did. Um, and I read avidly. Um, I remember going to the Falls Library and then later in Anderson's Town when the, when the library, well, it's not there anymore, when the library at uh, Navin Green opened up, I, I used to go there. In fact, I remember once as a teenager venturing into Darkest Shankle Road, looking to see if they had any different books from the ones that they had on the Falls and so on and so on. So, so there's the backstory. Um, <clears throat> But academic is a very broad label. So the question is, out of all the things, what is it you're going to get involved in? And I suppose it was a bit of an accident that I got involved at one point in oral history. It was in the mid-1980s. It was the coming up to the 50th anniversary of the outdoor relief strike in Belfast. The trade unions and Belfast Trades Council and others were organising a couple of events. And out of that... Uh, a colleague of mine at, at Ulster University, Ronnie Monk, and I got to meet a number of people who'd been involved in the outdoor relief riots and decided, why not interview them? They're getting older. Why not interview them? Put a book together. And we did. We produced a book called Belfast in the 30s, an oral history. Now, that was my first experience. I've had others since. And oral history struck me as having... I'm not a historian, sorry, I'm a sociologist, but oral history struck me as having two distinct differences from history as it normally is, if you know what I mean, and especially academic history. Uh, number one, it gets to other voices that you don't hear in the history books normally. It gets to popular voices. It's, it's history from the bottom up rather, from, rather than from the 
official government papers down, right? Which is a different angle and often a very different angle and often a very contradictory angle to the one that you're getting from the other sources. Uh, so that's that's a main that's a main distinction. Incidentally, a lot of mainstream historians to this day dislike oral history precisely for that reason. In fact, there's this famous quotation from great historian E.P. Thompson, who said, oral history is nothing but old men drooling into their beers. And you can't get more dismissive than that in terms of saying, of course, it's got no value. Anyway, that's one aspect. But there's another aspect that's really different. And that is, you, I find you get a contact with people that you don't get through other sorts of research. And I mean a personal contact. I'll give you one example. One of the people we met through the, um, the, the 30s research was George McBride. George McBride was living in what was called then the UVF hospital. And it was later changed to the Somme nursing home up off the dual carriageway in East Belfast. Um, he was former UVF man, socialist, um, and more to the point, he was the widower of uh, Winifred Carney, right? So here was a link through Winifred Carney to James Carney to 1916, to all that incredible time a century and a bit ago. And the old man was living up there. So we went to visit him a couple of times. Uh, he, he was like a stuck record of many things. He, he kept going on about two things over and over again. One was that he remembered when oranges first came to Belfast. And the other one was that the men of 1916 had no military ability whatsoever. So, but here's the thing, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point. We discovered that he and Winifred had a friend from the White Rock called John McWade. And John had gone to live in, in Dublin in the early 1940s before Winifred died in 1943. And George and John had never met each other since, and this is you know, the late 80s now. We tracked George uh, John down in Dublin, persuaded him to take the train up, drove him up to the UVF nursing home, as it's called. And George is standing holding a stick at the doorstep. John gets out of my car, walks over to George. And the very first thing George says to him over 40 years after seeing him the last time, he says, ah, oh, John, I still miss Winnie. Right now, I'm telling you that sort of contact, that sort of emotional um, connection you have to research, I don't think you get in any other research that I've ever done. So that's how I got into oral history. I've done another few oral history pieces. I did uh, Unfinished Business, uh, a book about people who'd lost a loved one to state forces and were campaigning for justice. And then uh, I did Children of the Revolution, Sons and Daughters of Activists, uh, asking them about their lives then and how they look back on their childhood since. So it's been a, it's only been part of what I've done, but it, in many ways, when I think of those three books, they're the three I was going to say there were the three that I enjoyed the most. Maybe I'll clarify that slightly. There are three that I look back on very proudly, uh, but they were difficult. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a way in which that sort of writing is difficult compared to other sorts of writing. 
you're talking to people, you're trying to draw them out, you're trying to, then you record what they say and then you transcribe it. And that's only the beginning because people don't talk coherently. I don't mean that as, 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 a, as an insult. People don't tell a story the way they write it. People don't give a talk spontaneously like that, the way they would give a prepared lecture. So you get, you get a story that's, that's all over the place, you know? And what I always said to people is, I was gonna take their words, transcribe them, and then put them together as a coherent story. They'd all be their words, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I just had this thought. <laughs> There's an old sketch of Markham and Wise when um, Eric Markham's playing the piano and Andre Previn is, sta is standing beside him. And Eric Markham is getting the song wrong and the tune wrong. And Andre's getting completely annoyed at him and says to him, you're playing the wrong notes. And Eric says, uh, no, I'm not. I'm playing the right notes, but not in the right order. <laughs> It's, it's a bit like that when you're editing oral history. You've got to take all the bits, put them together more coherently. Uh, that's hard. And the other hard bit of it is a lot of academics can't hack this easily. You give it back to the people and say, right, there's what I've made of your story. What do you think? That is scary as heck. Because they can think everything from that's wonderful to you bleep, bleep, what have you made me say, you know? And I've had cases where completed interviews have been scrapped, just thrown out and never used because, well, for different reasons, either because I didn't make a coherent enough sense of what they were saying or more to the point, I did. And it was the first time they saw this story staring them so starkly in the face and it, they didn't want to see it in print. So that's me and oral history. That's how I got there. And that's where I am now.